Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. You're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning. And, uh, you know, for those who are not keeping track, which I know that all of you are, it has been about three years since the start of the so-called pandemic and the whole COVID-19 debacle. And uh, we've been talking about this um, for the last couple of days uh, here on Jenna Ellis in the morning in various ways and talking about um, the vaccine that I don't think really should be called a vaccine and, you know, some other things uh, in the aftermath. And it has been, it's been only three years. And that's actually mind boggling to me because it seems like so much longer. I mean, 2020 and also 2021 just seemed like, you know, a decade of of all of this. Um, But it has only been three years. And yet there are some, uh, particularly those on the left, that are trying to rewrite history. And now that we have seen a lot of the truth of how the government and uh, other corporations and government in tandem and colluding with corporations have uh, tried to mislead us in to uh, what they were suggesting the the height of the pandemic and to try to coerce and compel uh, our cooperation with whatever they wanted. Um, they're now trying to rewrite that history and say, oh, just kidding. We didn't actually try to forcibly compel the vaccine on anybody. Are you kidding me? Ha <laughs> ha. We would have never done that. Right. So they're trying to rewrite history. And I'm sitting here thinking, you guys, we we have the video. Like this is 2023. It's we have the video, we have the audio, we have your tweets, we have everything. But there are still people who want to deny reality. That's what the left does best, and suggest that no, 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 they they were not nearly as crazy as they actually were. And one of those people is Randy Weingarten, who is uh, the head of the ATF, which is the American Federation of Teachers. And she has gone on a total off-the-chain rant about how, um, no, she was totally for schools opening in 2020, and she never said that schools should be shut down. And the brilliant thing about Twitter right now, I love community notes, because people have the ability to fact check in real time all of these crazy leftists who are saying, no, I didn't really do that. And Community Notes is going, "Uh, yeah, you did. And here's the link. And here's the proof. And they're getting fact checked in real time. And it's an amazing thing to see. So uh, one of our good friends, Corey DeAngelis, who is a, a school choice advocate, has been kind of leading in this area to talk about how the left is trying to rewrite history when it comes to not only school choice and their advocacy in that lane, but also uh, what they didn't do in the midst of the pandemic and tried to force school closures for much longer than they're now suggesting. And Corey joins us now. So good morning, Corey. And I just have to say, I'm, I'm loving seeing 
all of the pushback against Randy Weingarten in particular. So uh, walk us through kind of where we're at right now with uh, with her just kind of off the rails saying, no, 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 I, I was really not for what I actually was for back then. And please, please make me look like a sane person. It's hilarious. Uh, yeah, good morning, Jenna. Uh, it's great to be on with you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. I mean, it's Day after day after day, you have Randy Weingarten changing her pinned tweet her at the top of her profile with a different form of gaslighting. And three days in a row, she's gotten community notes slapped on her tweet saying, no, you did not try to fight to reopen the schools. You were threatening safety strikes. You, were, you, you lobbied the CDC to make it more difficult to reopen schools. Places with more union influence were less likely to reopen their schools. We have uh, peer, peer-reviewed data on that. Um, you had your local affiliates deleting tweets that, that said it was racist and sexist to reopen the school. So it, it's fun. And, and another one was slapped on her um, tweet today. She actually shared a PolitiFact article to try to say, <laughs> oh, I have my own fact checkers and I was kind of right. And the community notes came after that one. So she, there's no escaping the community notes for Andy Weingarten. It's, it's, it's totally hilarious. It's, it's glorious. It's a little win. You know, if, if she was trying to fight to reopen the school so much, well, why weren't they open? I mean, the private schools were open, the uh, the private businesses were fighting to reopen, but you had the teachers unions holding children's education hostage, and we all saw it. Yeah, and, and you know, you just tweeted a couple of minutes ago about how Randy Weingarten shared this PolitiFact article to continue her gaslighting around school uh, closure. So people can go and read it for themselves. I would highly recommend follow Corey DeAngelis on Twitter. Um, you can see everything going on in the school choice battle. Um, but, Corey, this is important not just to laugh at the left and say, you know, you're trying to rewrite history and point out how they're utter and total hypocrites. That matters. But this also matters. I think to every parent listening, because we were told during the pandemic that, you know, that we, the the ATF and the Teachers Federation and the teachers unions know best over and above parents what you should be doing with your children. And they're continuing to say that as they're rewriting history. And Joe Biden went so far as to say um, not that I mean, just maybe two weeks ago that um, that parents aren't actually in charge of their kids, that kids belong to the state. I mean, this is where they're at, and this is why this matters. Yeah, Joe Biden tweeted out something along the lines of, uh, there's no such thing as uh, as someone else's kids. Uh, Our nation's children are our children. So it's like, it's total socialist nonsense. And that's, you know, that's one of the alarm bells that are going off in in the minds of parents right now is, one, when they saw the remote learning, they saw a lot of the crap that was going on in the public schools with CRT and gender ideology and and, and just schools focusing on, on politically uh, left-leaning um, uh, uh, materials in the classroom as opposed to just basic math reading and writing. And uh, so this has woken up parents to say, you know what, that these are my kids. These are not the, the nation's kids. These are not Joe Biden's kids. And so they're parents are pushing back at school board meetings but they're also pushing back in a in a in a way that is more likely to hold Randy Weingarten accountable which is for school choice policies and we're seeing in red states in particular there's friendly competition that has emerged we we've had a lot of victories in six states already they've gone all in on school choice in the past 2 years alone uh they're all red states with GOP trifectas but I'm in North Carolina right now and and they're on the cusp 
of of passing universal school choice as well for all families uh, with the Democrat governor because they have all Republicans signed on in both chambers and uh, they have veto proof uh, majorities if all Republicans stay signed on to the bill to fund students as opposed to systems. It'll be the first state to go all in with without a GOP trifecta. That's amazing. And you are doing such fantastic work. I mean, it seems like every day I open Twitter and I see that Corey's in a different state advocating and winning for school choice. So uh, specifically, what do these bills contain when you, when you say school choice? What does that actually look like? Yes, yeah, the concept of the money following the child to wherever they want to get an education. So that could be the public school. If you like your public school, you can keep your public school. Uh, unlike with your doctor. But if not, you can take that funding to a private school, a charter school, or a home-based education option. So it's funding students, not systems. It's, 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 uh, it's the basic form of school choice. And some of them are education savings accounts. Some of them are in the form of scholarships. But uh, the, the basic detail is the money follows the, the, the child. Which is such a great option, especially for um, so many parents who listen uh, to American Family Radio Network who homeschool. Um, I mean, I I can remember my parents even all growing up homeschooling me and my brothers saying, you know, we're we're paying through our taxes to send, you know, other people's kids to school and then we still have to pay on top of that for curriculum and you know for other things and none of that is following our kids and so you know for homeschool families in particular I think this is a a really really great option and so um, what are some of the upcoming battles in some of these um, other states that you know maybe are not quite as red as the ones that you've described. Um, what what's the pushback from the teachers' unions and some of this that for something that's just so obviously a good idea that the money should follow the student, not the school system? Yeah, the main Democrat argument or the teachers' union argument is that this will defund the public schools, and so that really shows you where their priorities lie with the institution as opposed to the kid, but. Look, the money doesn't belong to the government schools. It doesn't belong to the private schools either, to be clear. The money is meant for educating the child, not for propping up and protecting a particular institution, whether it's public or private. But the reality is, with all of these programs, only about half of the total funding follows the student. It's the state-level funding that follows the kid. The local and federal funding typically stay with the public school system. So on a per-student basis, they end up with higher revenues and expenditures per student in the public schools. I mean, just imagine if you stopped shopping at Walmart, you went to Trader Joe's or whatever, and Walmart got to keep half of your grocery funding each week. That wouldn't make any sense, but it would be a good deal for them. I'd I'd argue this is a a really good deal for the public schools. They get to keep any money at all for students they're no longer educating. But, you know, we're also fighting hard, pretty pretty hard in Texas. They already passed a bill through their Senate that's nearly universal, uh, 18 to 13 vote. Uh, but in their house, there's a little bit of a, a hang-up, which there has, which was typically the case in Texas for years. We think we'll ultimately get something done, but you hear some arguments from rural Republicans in that they'll say, on the one hand, the public school is the only option. This isn't. I can't really use this program in my area. And then they'll say in the next breath with a straight face that, well, this is going to defund my great rural public schools. Well, one, if they're great, you should have nothing to worry about, and two – if it's true that the public school is the only option in your area, well, then 
you should be the last person arguing that this will defund your schools because there's fewer exit options in your area. The, the money will stay in your public schools. You shouldn't be worried. They're just repeating teachers union talking points to side with their uh, people who endorse them in the in the primaries, the the uh, federation of, of teachers, and you know they're trying to come out and 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 vote against the party platform issue, which is the it's a Republican party platform issue in Texas and nationally, and it's a top eight GOP. Texas legis- uh, legislated a priority for the Texas GOP this session, and Governor Abbott has made it an emergency item. So hopefully they can get it done in Texas. Uh, but that's the main argument you'll hear. Even though the the nine most rural states in the country and, and, and uh, all have some form of private school choice already, it's just an excuse to to go against their party platform. Nothing else. Nothing else. Yeah. And and it's so frustrating when a lot of um, the people who push back are, are really just informed by talking points that they either see online or, you know, hear on, um, you know, on CNN. Hopefully there's not a lot of Republicans that are actually watching that network. But, you know, but even even on Fox News and some of these other channels, you know, you'll just hear some of these talking points instead of um, someone like you who actually understands in depth these issues. And this is why I always encourage uh, everyone listening and, you know, our AFR family to follow people who you trust who actually know uh, substantively what's going on in these issues because then you can become much more robustly educated and not just hear the top level talking points and think that that explains everything. And and so just in the last minute or so that I have with you, Corey, and always appreciate your insights. This is such an important issue for parents and uh, for our communities and truth in community, which defines politics. Um, how big of an issue do you think that school choice will present on um, the national stage when you know we look at something like the, the forthcoming GOP presidential debates, um, and especially if someone like Ron DeSantis actually enters, who's done a really excellent job in his state, is this going to be an issue that we're seeing um, kind, kind of come to the front of of the national Republican Party? Yes. I mean, this is a GOP litmus test issue uh, in specific states and also nationally. I mean, if you look at all the top GOP contenders right now, they all support school choice. Uh, we'll, we'll see how they how they try to differentiate themselves by saying, Perhaps one supports it more than others, or, or one has a track record on school choice more than others. So, like, like, like DeSantis is, is is great on school choice in Florida. They, and so he has a track record. He can point out that, well, Florida's just went all in this year, and Florida had been leading the nation for a long time on school choice, but they just they just went all in this year with House Bill One. DeSantis signed it into law recently, being the most recent state to allow all families to have access to education freedom. So that's a major victory. Well, yeah, that is a major victory. And, you know, all of these candidates, um, most of them have a record. So it's going to be very interesting to see that clash. But Corey DeAngelis, really appreciate it. Follow him on Twitter and uh, see everything that's going on in the school choice uh, world. Get involved. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. In churches, and a lot of churches today, the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room. It's in the news, but it's not in the church. So if it's in society, it needs to be something the churches are addressing. In his image, 
delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality, is now available for church screenings and events. Every person in America needs to see this. And all pastors need to show this to the church, get the people informed. If the church and Jesus isn't the answer, where's the world going? We want the message of the film to touch as many hearts and lives as possible, and we'd love to join with you to bring the film to your community. So let's say you have a small group or your church, or we've even been bringing the film into some prisons. We want to partner with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit, and it's completely free, and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event. To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the Host an Event tab. That's inhisimage.movie. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota. He is the state's junior senator and a former member of the U.S. House of Representatives. Romans 8.28 reminds us of the qualities we should seek in our leaders. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Senator Kevin Kramer as he represents the people of North Dakota. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Join millions of Americans tomorrow for the National Day of Prayer. Participation is absolutely free. To reserve your online prayer room, go to pausetopray.org. Pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. A former staff member at Mission Barbecue says she was personally triggered by the playing of the national anthem. Every day at noon, everyone inside Mission Barbecue stops to salute the flag, and they stand at attention during the Star-Spangled Banner. Every American stands as one because we can. That's their slogan. But one former staffer said she hated it, described it like a scene out of a horror movie. It was among a number of critical comments posted on TikTok by a person who was offended because customers at another restaurant stood at attention for the national anthem. The TikTok user says it was by far the most dangerous situation she had ever been in. By the way, I own KWAM News Radio in Memphis, and every day at noon, we stop what we're doing and we play the national anthem, no doubt triggering liberals on AM and FM radio. I'm Todd Stearns. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And, uh, you know, we we have to talk about some things that are just so ridiculous that they're almost hilarious. But at the same time, the cultural commentary um, is just is just bizarre. And and I saw this headline and I'm so grateful that Todd Starnes is joining me now to discuss this. Uh, and Todd wrote about it at toddstarns.com. The headline is Navy enlists drag queen to recruit new sailors. 
And if you watched this video on social media, uh, then you too will think that this is totally bizarre. Um, so the late, the Navy's latest diversity, equity, and inclusion policy update reads, quote, our Navy is committed to enabling a workforce demographic similar to that of the nation it deserves. So three cheers for uh ESG and DEI and all of that. Uh, but Todd, good morning. And um, <laughs> my first question was, what young men are possibly going to to be appealed to with this kind of absolute insanity? Yeah, good morning, Jenna. Yeah, this is an insane story. And uh, the, the reality is that this drag queen is actually enlisted in the Navy, a guy by the name of Yeoman Second Class Joshua Kelly. His stage name is Harpy Daniels. And he was selected, and we don't know if he's being paid, if this is a volunteer ambassadorship, but he's, he was recruited by the Navy as a digital ambassador, much like Dylan Mulvaney has become for um, the, uh, the, the Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch Company, and a lot of the um, a lot of other companies around the co- the country. So it, it really is shocking uh, to see this guy out there. And again, this this ties into the Navy's new push for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And as I wrote in in my story, the Navy's tip of the spear seems to include pronoun confused, non-binary, pangender sailors, some of whom might possibly identify as a blowfish. I do not know. But it's it's just really crazy when you think that the Navy's representative out there, the Navy's chief ambassador, is a grown man wearing fake eyelashes and a skimpy dress. And they seem to think this is going to strike fear into the hearts of our enemies. But honestly, Jenna, I think they're just going to die laughing. I, I do, too. I mean, I can't imagine what our enemies and even our allies are, are looking at this thinking, oh, yeah, you know, th- those are the people that really strike fear in, in uh, to our hearts. But uh, but more importantly, um, it's it's shocking to me that our military and a branch of our government is concerned about diversity, equity and inclusion, because, you know, we understand that companies like Anheuser-Busch and Maybelline and, and some of these others are trying to get a DEI score that and this index that is consistent with the human rights campaign. I still want to know why that valuation matters so much over their bottom line over being a a for-profit corporation. Uh, I still have all of those questions. But the government, last time I checked, is a non-revenue generating institution. And why would the government possibly care about their diversity, equity, and inclusion score? Why, Why does this even matter? It's, it's a great question, Jenna, and this one is a head-scratcher. Instead of diversity, equity, and inclusion, the Navy needs to be concerned about killing and blowing up the enemy. That's their number one job, and throw in the blockade every now and again. But when you look yes. back over the Obama administration years and now the Biden administration, uh, there was an effort to, to really turn the, the, the Pentagon and turn our military into a social engineering petri dish. Keep in mind that a lot of the things that um, are common are commonplace in our culture, critical race theory, for example, this notion of white privilege, 
all of that actually started. It was birthed in the military uh, many years ago when I was at Fox News, and this was, wow, uh, maybe 12 or 13 years ago. A, a very concerned member of the military actually sent me the training manual, and it was in the early days, and they didn't call it critical race theory, but the whole point of this manual was to literally blame white people for every problem in the world. And and this is sort of the, this is a, a, just a sample of the kind of radical woke training that has been in the military for a very long time now, and it is incredibly dangerous, and if you ask any Republican lawmaker, and maybe even the Democrats would quietly admit this, I think they would tell you to the person that we are not prepared to fight a war because of all of this woke training. And that's what is truly scary, is that we are leaving ourselves open uh, and on almost welcoming um, a a war that we can't win. And then when you look at um, how the Biden administration is treating some of these literal test balloons, like uh, the story about the, the Chinese spy balloon uh, a couple of months ago, and, and you do look at um, how the, just the, the prolific change in the ideology um, of our military and of our government. I mean, this is not just the White House. This isn't just Joe Biden. And I, and I was recalling um, that comedian, uh, Benny Drama was his name, who who uh, was this fake Gen Z intern that had the real long nails and was this caricature of an extremely flamboyant uh, gay man, you know, who came in to try to have a diversity campaign and, you know, to have that... Uh, you know, have Biden apparently appeal to, to Gen Zers because that's the way to go. But um, but if you look at how prolifically all of this ideology is pervasive across all of our government institutions, um, you make a great point, Todd Starnes, that this isn't just the military. It's, it's across our institutions. And this is really um, foundationally all about social justice and wokeism, this idea that systemic injustice pervades our institutions and they must be torn down. I'm, I am almost convinced at this point that having this type of DEI because it is so bad for the goal of our actual military that our enemies are laughing at us. It's being purposefully done to weaken our institutions so they eventually collapse. I mean, what else could it, could it be? Well, uh, again, uh, when you look at, at what's happening to the country at large, and, and I wrote a book, book about this back in 2019 called Culture Jihad, How to Stop the Left from Killing a Nation. And I pointed out that our nation, really over the past decade or so, has been softened. It's, we're being conditioned for something. And, and that something, as I posited in the book, is is socialism and the way you do that and it's really it's the old the old adage of throwing a a frog into a pot of water when you slowly turn up the heat the frog never realizes that it's being cooked to death and and that's what's happening to us Uh, we have been conditioned to surrender our civil liberties in a time of crisis we have even been uh, conditioned to shut down our church houses to curtail our religious freedom in this country and and then when you you look at what's happening with the military and the softening of our military um, my concern is what happens when we do get engaged in an armed conflict and quite frankly we need to be paying very close attention to what's happening in china and i think every listener of afr needs to pay very close attention to that but when that happens when we do lose a conflict 
what happens what 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 do we become as as a nation but when you put all of that together it certainly looks as though we're being conditioned to embrace socialism and we saw the same thing happen across eastern europe in the aftermath of world war ii we've seen it happen in uh, venezuela for example and that's where i think all of this is eventually going i think that is the long-term goal of all of this yeah i would a hundred percent agree with you and this is why Um, world politics matters and our geopolitical position on the national stage matters. And this is the perfect segue into uh, talking about the 2024 presidential election because it seems like there is so much that just doesn't matter in a lot of our Um, our American rhetoric that's going back and forth, even in the GOP primary right now, um, that that really isn't touching on these greater concerns and who is the best person to be at the helm of the executive branch. And I truly think that the, the candidate that best addresses all of these policy positions and talks about strengthening America, and of course, you know, Todd, you have um, openly endorsed President Trump. And you know, he he is phenomenal on the stage when he's talking about policy, when he's talking about his record on how tough he was on China. I mean, I, I worked closely with, with Peter Navarro, who was um, his trade advisor at the time, who was very tough on China, understood all of this. I mean, he has such great policies, and yet he is now suggesting that he's going to forego at least the first, if not several, of the GOP primary debates. I think that's a mistake because he will, for a couple of reasons, but but before I give my opinion, I'd love to hear your take on that. Well, um, I have a longstanding policy that um, I will only support candidates who participate in debates. And I think it's important, again, for the, you know, maybe a clarification is in order. Um, he, he did not say he would not debate the first and the first gathering, but it was the Fox News debate that he had a problem with. Um, but even if, and I understand why the president would have a problem with debating Fox News, but I think he ought, he still ought to go because, quite frankly, that was one of the reasons that he was propelled, I think, to the presidency was his handling of the, the liberals at Fox. So I say, go, Mr. President. You know you're not going to get a fair shake. Nobody's going to give you a fair shake. Um, he's doing the town hall meeting next week in New Hampshire with CNN. So, uh, but, but I think at this early stage, maybe it's bluster, maybe it's uh, bluff. I don't know. Uh, but if, in fact, there is a debate and he doesn't show up, I will be the first to, to criticize the president for doing that. Yeah, same. And and I I completely agree with you that um, he would be wise to go, even if it's not a fair shake. Since when has Donald Trump gotten a fair shake in the media? I mean, let's be honest, there's not really a stage that has been entirely friendly for him other than, you know, a few of a few of his friends that do um, some interviews with him. But in terms of, you know, debates and in terms of um, you know, CNN and the national media, I mean, he, he's going in. Caitlin Collins, who used to work for Daily Caller, I think will be um, a little more friendly than, you know, some of the other personalities at CNN. Um, thankfully, Don Lemon is gone. But, um, but I agree with you. Todd, that it would be um, really unwise to forego this. But I can imagine if, if for some reason he decides to sit this out, and let's say, you know, Governor DeSantis has announced at that time, and it's him and Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley and a few others, and, and, and I think that Governor DeSantis will shine in that 
forum. And, um, you know, he's he's an attorney. He is a, a great uh, speaker. I can imagine Donald Trump sitting there watching it and being so infuriated that he's not able to respond and that DeSantis is getting all of the attention in the press and the discussion afterwards. And the only commentary is, well, Trump didn't show up. So I, I can't imagine a scenario that that's going to go well for him or that he will end up being okay with that decision, um, just just knowing him. So, um, so I think you know it, it's it's also interesting that um, I was at least told that David Bossy, who worked on the Trump campaign um, in 2020, is the one you know coordinating um, the RNC debate. So even if it's through Fox and some other things, um, it surprises me that you know one of his former. Um, employees on the campaign, as well as, um, you know, Ronna McDaniel, who he advocated for as the RNC chair, that he wouldn't be okay with that. Yes. Um, and and look, if, if that's the case, that's the case. Um, my issue with uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, why does he have lousy polling numbers? I'm just curious. Um, if, in fact, he's going to jump into the race, jump into the race. And if he's going to call out President Trump by name, be a man about it and call him out by name. Uh, you know, this this is Ron DeSantis is displaying um, Jeb Bush and Mitt Romney tendencies, where they'll attack the other candidates without actually calling them out by name. And I just think that's a cowardly way to do it. Now, I like Ron DeSantis, and if Ron DeSantis is the nominee, then I will I, I will gladly give that man my vote. But I do want a robust debate, and as I have said, um, and and I think there are there are folks that want me to be openly critical of President Trump for whatever reason. I have no idea why. But if, in fact, it comes down to the point where he doesn't debate, happy to criticize President Trump. But I'm curious about all those Ron DeSantis supporters out there. Um, what about you guys? Are you going to criticize your guy when he does something wrong? And I still believe that Donald Trump is poking at Ron DeSantis for one reason, to see if he actually can push back and punch back. And we need that in a Republican nominee. I don't care if it's DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy or Nikki Haley or whoever. Uh, not that it's going to be either one of those people. But um, I would like to start hearing from some of those, quite frankly, sanctimonious DeSantis supporters out there. <laughs> oh, oh, Todd. Well, um, you know, and, and I agree with you. I mean, and I've been um, very openly critical of Ron DeSantis for how he's handling the Disney situation that, in my opinion, is, um, is First Amendment retaliation. I think that it should have been handled far differently. But I would agree with you that we, as conservatives, need to be openly critical of our leaders and the people who want to be our leaders if and when they do something that is criticism worthy, even well, if they're the candidates that we support. And I do think that the polling numbers are going to change if and when DeSantis actually jumps in. I don't even think that they matter now. But as to him calling out Trump directly, I think we would see that more when he actually is a presidential candidate. But I agree with you. He's going to have to punch back harder. I just hope he does that in a way that is less um, some of this name calling and pettiness uh, from Trump. But closing thoughts real quick, Todd. Yes. When you look at policy, Trump was actually more Republican than George W. Bush or his father. And I think that's important for people to look at. Look at policy. I yes. understand personality, but I look at policy. A hundred percent. I agree with you on that. President Trump had great policy and 
you know, it's he's going to be tough to beat uh, if, if he is. So thanks, Todd, so much. We'll be right back All with right. more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. From the Sermon on the Mount to the Feeding of 5,000, Jesus drew in crowds and mystified many of his religious contemporaries. But how did his disciples grapple with it? And how do we? I'm Charles Morris. Join me all week on a series coming out of The Chosen called Signs and Sermons of Jesus. Haven Today, weekday mornings at 4.30 Central on American Family Radio. Listen online at AFR.net. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. See, we don't have to engage in psychological brainwashing techniques and all this nonsense that the left traffics in because they're godless for the most part. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. That's how we fight. Tune in to The Awakening, weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. Revival and spiritual awakenings to the gospel, it's happening right now in Asia. This is Bible League International, and we spent the last few weeks telling you about the incredible need for Bibles in the region of Asia. It's here where Christianity is growing fastest around the world, but at Bible League, we know that as many as 9 of 10 believers have no access to the Bible in countries like China, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and Thailand. Would you hear from Ming? He is in Cambodia. When I receive Bible from the church, and I really love to read it, read it again, and because of those reading, God is really placed in my heart. How is it here in America? Lots of Bibles, but maybe not a strong interest in reading them? Well, it's different in Asia. In fact, these believers, they're crying out for a Bible, so every gift made right now is the answer to the prayer of a Bibleist believer in Asia. Only $5 sends a Bible. $50 sends 10 $100 sends 20 Would you pray about it and then call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. Or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. God made his design for marriage and family absolutely clear. Unfortunately, Satan has a totally opposite view. The Marriage Family Life Conference 2023 wants to restore God's plan. July 6th through the 8th at the Cadence Bank Arena and Conference Center in Tupelo, Mississippi, strengthen your marriage and your family with Abraham Hamilton III. Having been made members of his eternal family, we now have a responsibility to consider how to stir one another up. George Barna. You cannot say there's a one-size-fits-all approach in ministry. If you've got a church of a thousand people, you have a thousand different stories, hurts, fears, doubts. Dr. Lee Brand. People gather together in buildings with steeples on top and crosses out front and never mention the name of Jesus, and that's sad. And many more. The Youth Apologetics track is back as well. The Marriage Family Life Conference 2023, for His glory alone. Register today at marriagefamilylife.net. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And uh, Todd told me after that segment when we went to break, uh, hey, did you know? Did we stir, dust up things enough? And, and I hope that we did uh, because, you know, it's important to hear from all perspectives and, uh, and to discuss these things clearly and openly. And so I want to hear from you and what you're thinking about the forthcoming GOP presidential debates and what you're thinking so far about this, um, you know, Trump versus DeSantis and all of the other players involved, including our good friend uh, Vivek and also Nikki Haley, who's now using uh, DeSanctimonious, apparently, as uh, as her own um 
moniker for him. So anyway, that's interesting. But if you'd like to call in and opine, our listener line is 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. And uh, our friend Adam will be uh, talking to you first before um, I get to say good morning to you. But um, but I also want to, before we get to all of your calls and already all of the lines are lighting up. I know you all have some, some great opinions here. Um, but, you know, I've gotten a lot of feedback, which I really appreciate. I love um, hearing from you and what you're thinking, what you want to hear on this program in terms of guests, in terms of topics and all of this. And it's also been interesting to me that I've heard from the spectrum, right, of people who are saying, on one hand, you know, you worked for President Trump and, you know, you're way too complimentary of him. And, you know, clearly you might as well just come out and endorse him. And then other people who are, you know, I'm so upset that, you know, you just should come out and, and uh, endorse Ron DeSantis. And we know that you're doing that. And that tells me that maybe, just maybe, we're doing a good job here at AFR of uh, being actually neutral. And it's it's important to me as someone who does not work for any presidential campaign or candidate. Of course, I previously worked for President Trump uh, on his 2020 campaign. And my role and responsibility then as one of uh, the lawyers, but particularly in you know, my role, of course, was was in communications. Um, I wasn't the attorney of record in any of those cases. My responsibility wasn't going into court. It was communicating to uh, the public, you know, the positions of Trump and the campaign. And um, and I was very happy to do that. It was a great uh, experience. I loved working for President Trump. And yet, um, like most people who've ever had a job in their life, um, there were things that, you know, you disagree with. Um, but my role and responsibility as an advocate uh, was to represent to the public what his positions were, what the campaign's positions were, um, regardless of my personal opinion. And and thankfully, when you work for somebody that you generally like, um, then, you know, that the disagreements were very few. Uh, but now that I speak for myself and my opinions, um, then, of course, I'm going to openly discuss things that I disagree with, whether it's something he posts on Truth Social, whether it's not participating in a debate, and I'm also going to uh, to criticize the other guys. Like, I've been very publicly critical going all the way back to last year about this whole um, Disney versus DeSantis thing and how, you know, this is constitutionally protected speech as much as I absolutely disagree with what Disney said in objecting to the parental rights and education bill. The government, no matter whether it's Ron DeSantis, it's Gavin Newsom, it's anybody in between, can't retaliate against anybody, any individual or any corporation, for exercising their right to speak and to have political speech and to engage politics. That's what we do as Americans. And so um, I think that ultimately uh, how... Uh, Disney has now decided to sue on that. It's going to be very interesting going into the GOP primary. I do think that Ron DeSantis is going to win the court of public opinion because, um, like most conservatives, what Disney said was deplorable. It was it was heinous, um, in fact, and supporting this this whole position of you know the "Don't Say Gay" bill, which is of course a ridiculous moniker for a parental rights and education bill, uh, most reasonable people would agree with the Florida legislature. So all of these things, though, we need to debate and discuss, and we need to do that openly. And I will always give you my actual opinions on things, but I am not coming from a position 
of endorsing or supporting one candidate over another. Now, ultimately, I'm going to vote for who I'm going to vote for, um, but that's not important to the broader discussion of you getting to hear from all sides and getting to hear my actual thoughts and opinions on everybody, including my former boss and including my now current governor, um, because I'm I'm here in the state of Florida. So um, so let's get to your thoughts and comments. But I just I just want to say I love the fact that people are writing in and we've had, you know, I mean, 99% um, just you know, everybody really appreciates and has welcomed me to this network. And I love that. And I'm grateful that um, you're enjoying the show. I love this each and every morning. Um, but I also do like to hear, you know, some of that feedback because then it's showing me that across the spectrum, you know, I'm, I'm probably doing a good job of everybody is getting somewhat irritated when their perspective isn't being displayed on a particular morning. And that's actually a good thing. That is genuinely a good thing. I don't want to just be a pro-Trump channel. I don't want to be an anti, you know, never Trumper channel. I mean, that that's not what we should be doing anyway as Christians. So, all right. So uh, the listener line is 888 888- 589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. Let's go to Roxanne from Texas. Uh, good morning, Roxanne. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Jenna. Um, good morning. I so appreciate you. I love your show. You're doing a fantastic job. Thank you. Um, uh, I wanted to mention, though, all this talk about polls um, disturbs me because they're never accurate. They're never honest. They're never truthful. Um, And I don't think we should put any stock into polls, um, especially this early in the game. And um, I'm not a I still have a sign that says, don't blame me. I voted for Trump on my house. (laughs) Um, But that doesn't mean I'm (laughs) I'm not a. Um, looking at DeSantis because he's done some wonderful things and he's a very strong um, person and also, you know, definitely an alpha man. Um, And he knows the laws. And in my perspective, he doesn't have to look to other people to explain what's what's what. And I think that was a lot of President Trump's issues, which he had to look to others who directed him incorrectly um, in, in several like leaving Fauci in and stuff like that. And secondly, um, Nikki Haley, she'll never, ever get my vote for anything because as far as I'm concerned, she was the beginning of them taking away our history and destroying our monuments, and she was all for it. She Mm. owned it. She was fine with it. And that tells me she doesn't know... um, the depth of our country and what people, the lives that people paid for where we are today. And um, so that was, those are my (laughs) comments. Great comments, Roxanne. And I agree with you on the polls for sure. And, you know, DeSantis hasn't even announced yet. So I'm really interested to see how things change and shift. But, you know, polls can be so easily manipulated. And listen, if polls worked, then we would have had a president Hillary Clinton. And oh my gosh, I can't even believe those words came out of my mouth because thankfully we avoided that. But, uh, you know, I remember in uh, 2016 sitting there watching the ticker from the New York Times just go down and down and down. It started at 85% likelihood all the way down to zero. And, you know, the polls don't mean anything. And it's amazing that candidates, including Trump's own campaign, that, you know, they post the polls and look at this. This is the greatest poll ever. And then when there's a poll that shows, 
DeSantis leading, then, oh, that's a terrible poll. And so, you know, it's all just campaigning. It's all ultimately manipulation of, of public opinion, in my view. So agree with you on that. Let's go to uh, Lisa. Good morning, Lisa from Arkansas. Good morning, Jenna. Good morning. Um, thank you for taking my call. And um, thank you for doing such a good job and bringing up a lot of topics and also the um, opportunity to for us regular folks out here to, to comment. Um, I have a couple of things to talk about um, the debate and uh, what I'd like to see and also um, to respectfully disagree with Mr. Starnes' um, debate and about calling out Ron DeSantis by name. Um, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm not walking, so I'm out of breath. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a good morning so, for that. Uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, Mr. Starnes is kind of presenting something that I think we're all kind of fed up with. We don't want to see tearing down of each other in the um, in the debate. And, you know, of course, Ron DeSantis is not even in there yet. But if, if he were, and if they were to debate, I would like to see um, connection with the real people who are out here struggling still making the same wages, even though inflation's off the charts. Um, real people are hurting and we really don't, you know, we really don't care about uh, a show or entertaining a great, fantastic debate that's going to be, um, you know, soundbite. Um, we want uh, someone who connects with real people and which is what was attractive about Donald Trump. Um, what is unattractive about him is how he does bash everyone. But, um, that's, that's what I'd like to see in the debate is to um, reach real people and not make it a, an entertainment. Yeah, I think that's a great comment, Lisa. And and I wish we could go back to the old, you know, Lincoln Douglas style debates where wouldn't it be great to get Trump and DeSantis and, um, you know, put Vivek up there as well. I don't I don't really care as much about Nikki Haley and Asa Hutchinson and some of those. But, you know, hey, put them all up there and let them go at it for four to six hours. Like have a long for have Joe Rogan moderate it. Right. Wouldn't that be amazing to actually hear substantively instead of these just quick, snappy, you know, explain your policy position in two minutes. Go. I mean, this is why when I when I used to um, go on, for example, Hannity's show on Fox News all the time, it was like, you know, explain the president's constitutional position on this in 30 seconds. Go. And you can only say the very, very top level talking points. Um, and I would also agree with you respectfully to our good friend uh, Todd Starnes. I totally disagreed with him calling DeSantis a coward for not mentioning Trump by name. Um, I think he's going to once he enters the race. And I think that um, he will enter the race. But also, um, I've heard so much feedback from people that just have the fatigue over you know, Trump's names and some of this name calling and the pettiness. And I would really like to see Ron DeSantis rise above that, bring kind of some adult presence to the stage. That would be great. All right. Um, let's get some more comments in here. Let's go to uh, uh, Julia or Julio from uh, L.A. So uh, from Louisiana, I believe that is not L.A. as in uh, L.A., California, <laughs> but you can correct me. So uh, right. good morning. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Don't have me out there. No, thank you. Okay. Uh, all right. Good morning. I was like, that'd be <laughs> yeah, hilarious to somebody with Hillary LA Clinton for president thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, I was just telling your uh, your call screener there that I would love to see to just 12 years. You know, you get, yeah, let's get President Trump, let's run out his four, and then let's get uh, DeSantis running, running it back, uh, you know, eight more. Because I'm tired. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't care what type of lifestyle somebody wants to live. But I'm tired of these non-manly men, you know, just 
just trying to, you know, preach. And it's just like, come on now. I really am just over it. We need our country back on on its legs. You know, we can't we can't continue down this route that we're going because this is going to continue to let China and Russia keep building up together while we're over here looking like girls, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that that's a great comment. And I, too, would love to see, you know, an actual competent, qualified, good president who understands the founding into perpetuity for the rest of America's history. I mean, not even just the next 12 years. Let's never have a Democrat in office again who is pushing all of these crazy progressive policies. That would be a great thing. And and that depends on we, the people, actually taking responsibility for our government. And this is why voting absolutely matters. It's so shocking to me to see how few people, even among the GOP and registered Republicans, turn out in the primary. So we've got to do a better job in our churches, in our communities, in our families and extended families of encouraging people to engage as good citizens. So a great comment. Let's go to uh, John out of Austin, Texas. Good morning, John. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I wanted to make just two points, please, ma'am. The first, I I don't hear very often about President Trump. Uh, The man worked for free. All of his presidential pay, he donated. Yes, he did. Uh, on top of that, uh, any anybody that we get, I would love to see Candace Owens as VP. And now that Tucker Carlson's available, put him in the cabinet. <laughs> All right. Well, great comments, John. And, um, you know, I I can't wait to see what Tucker does next. And I think that being uh, kind of unleashed from this, uh, editorial issue with Fox is going to just continue to amplify uh, his message for uh, for truth. And, you know, even though he doesn't describe himself really as as a Christian, he understands the basic concepts of biblical truth and morality. And um, I'm really excited to see where he goes next. So uh, great comments. All right, let's go to uh, Allison out of Louisiana as well, not L.A., California. <laughs> Good morning, Allison. Good morning, Jenna. Thank you for the opportunity to comment. Um, I believe that the existential threat to democracy is the World Economic Forum and the elitist who think that they know better than the American people and would seek to impose their will, whether through climate change agenda or vaccine mandates or immigration quotas, etc. Donald Trump seems to be the only candidate with the force of will to be able to confront these guys And I would love to see Tucker Carlson moderate a debate. (laughs) Oh, I would, too. Well, we'll have to do that. And we unfortunately have to leave it there. Thanks so much, Allison. Everyone else who has called in. And I agree with you. There are so many existential threats to America. And this is why, you know, some of these things that we're parsing on, um, you know, Trump versus DeSantis. I mean, either one would be so much better than what we have now. And we need to focus on those issues. So you can reach me at Jenna at AFR.net. Make it a great day. And all as always, I love, love, love your comments. So thanks for calling in. Talk to you tomorrow morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.